Hi, welcome to Chunky Glasses, the podcast. This is episode number 66. Yeah, yeah, 66. Um, we have been talking for a while about doing some roundtable discussions here uh, because we like to talk about issues. Uh, I know we want to talk about, uh, for example, copyright. I know we want to talk about piracy. I know we're lining one up right now uh, talking about sexism in rock and roll. Uh, but today what we're going to be talking about is the crowdsourcing promotion tool uh, known as Rabble. If you aren't familiar with Rabble, uh, in brief, uh, it is a tool for artists to use to sort of measure the market uh, that they want to go into, whether that market be across town or across the country. So, for example, if you're trying to get into uh, somewhere in Nowheresville, Ohio, uh, and you basically start a campaign, you set a, a, a uh, goal for how many tickets it's going to take to get there. Uh, you send it out to your fans, and your fans say, yes, I will go to the show. I will buy a ticket so that you can come here. Uh, once all that is done, if you reach your goal, uh, the show is on, and you go there. And it, you can theoretically map a tour across the country uh, just going to the places where people want to see you and it also theoretically will give you insight into places where you might have to work a little bit harder uh, at any rate um, there's a little controversy last week or about a week and a half ago now uh, where Rabble is putting on some shows at the Pinch here in DC uh, and the gist is is that they have booked the headliners and they are asking opening smaller bands to run a uh, run a campaign to see if they can get that slot. So the person who basically uh, has the most demand will get the opening slot. Uh, immediately, uh, cries of pay to play went up, uh, sort of overwrought editorials. Uh, the Twitter reaction was insane. Uh, so we thought it might be good uh, to hear it sort of straight from the horse's mouth. Uh, about what Rabble is and, and what they're trying to do with these and, and how that might encourage uh, artists in town, or maybe not. Uh, so right now we have uh, Wade Legrone, uh, who's the CEO of Rabble, uh, and we have Chris Naum, uh, who is the founder of Listen Local First, uh, in with us, and then Paul, who you know from the site, uh, is here, and so we're going to talk this through, and hopefully we'll uh, get some answers. So uh, I'm going to shut up and I'm just going to go to that and it's about an hour conversation so uh, strap in it's a good one it happens here and it finishes here two men enter one man really a two word review just a shit sandwich that right there he is a started um so wade uh from rabble chris from listen local first thank you for being here uh paul you used you, you there yep all right everybody's here all right so hey, uh 
this is uh, we're, we're trying a little uh, roundtable thing that we've been talking about doing for a while, uh, and the I guess the, the the cause for us to do this was a couple weeks ago. Uh, Sadie uh, Dingfelder published a article on crowdfunded concerts coming to DC about uh, Wade's company. Wade's the CEO of Rabble, uh, and it. Uh, for lack of a better word, uh, caused a, a variable shitstorm of a reaction. Um, and so we sort of wanted to uh, find out a little bit more about Rabble, clear the air about that, and see uh, see what it is and how how it's going to help out artists, if it's going to help out artists. So, Wade, wh- why don't we start with you telling us uh, what Rabble is in your words? Oh, sure. You know, we started Rabble. Um, we've been working on it for a long time. We, didn't, we, didn't, we launched in March of 2013. And, you know, the, the idea was we wanted to give, we wanted to give artists another tool. So right now getting gigs and um, touring, those are all really hard. We have tons of friends who are in bands. Well, we've been in bands um, and we know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. And we believe that we could build a tool that would let uh, an artist who has uh, committed fans, who has good fans, engaged fans, uh, that would let them uh, manage to work with those fans to get new opportunities, opportunities they wouldn't get otherwise. Right. Whether that's a show, that's an opening spot, uh, a show in another town, a slot at a festival, you know, you name it. Mm-hmm. And and that's what we've been working on. And Rabble works in a lot of different ways. And a lot of the conversation, couple last couple of weeks has has been about, you know, one particular way that Rabble can work. Uh, but that's the basic idea is letting your fans help you get opportunities you wouldn't get otherwise as an artist. Okay, so the, the uh, now Chris, uh, I guess, is, is the proxy voice of DC here uh, is what we're going for. Uh, the immediate reaction um, for people in DC in – We'll just call it the scene, if you want to call it. I, I don't know what you would actually call it because I'm actually mm-hmm. not a part of it. But the the immediate reaction, <laughs> the immediate reaction was that this is uh, pay to play. Um, do you want to address that at all? Yeah, or, sure. Or, or well, why why people may, might have seen it like that, or if you think it is like that. Right. Well, first, let me start with saying that what uh, what we just said about Ravel is exactly why I think I think Ravel is. Uh, uh, it does have a great mission for that reason, sort of bringing, you know, helping bands tour. And I think that's, I think that's very valuable. That, that aspect of, of Rabble is something that, um, you know, over the past week or so, as I've been reading, I, I think it's really awesome. I read the New York times article about um, clap your hands and say, yeah. And uh, in the Baltimore show. And I think that sounded like a great success. And I think, I think there is real value in that aspect of the company. I think what, you know, what, what led to everyone calling pay for play was, was the idea of using, I guess, using Rabble for these opening, um, these opening performances. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and from what I get, I've talked to a number of bands, I've talked to a number of venue owners. Um, and it, you know, it sounded like it, it was a sort of situation where the ba- you know you had a band that was set to play a certain venue, and then in order to find a band to open, um, 
you know, there was a select number of bands that were chosen and then they would put it out to their fans to sort of vote for them to be the opener for this big, well, big, you know, a national touring act that's Bu- coming. Buzzworthy touring act, I think. Yeah, buzz, buzzworthy touring act that uh, is coming through town. And, um, I, you know, I think, I think what paper play still exists uh, in, in, in certain areas. I mean, uh, but I think someone put it best in one of the, in one of the comments on that blog is that it's kind of what it, what it brought, what it made people feel was like, it was a mix between paper play and polling. And it's, it's, it's neither of those, it's neither of those really. Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, the, uh, the polling, you know, polling happens in different venues. And I think that's, that's the next part of the discussion is what are, what are best practices for venues uh, is something that we have to keep in mind here, but the paper play, you know, if you're asking an artist to go out, put time in to get their fans to vote, and you're getting the fans to put the money up front, I mean, yes, you can you can draw that extension and just for the sake of creating buzz, calling it paper, you know, pay for play. Mm. But you are asking something of the artists and putting them in this competitive environment. Um, that is, you know, maybe it's not exactly pay for play, but I don't think it. I don't think it fits into what we should be doing to support our local bands um, on on the local level. I mean, do do you think that, uh, I mean, the reality is, is that while their scenes can, I think, build build up around um, a a group feeling of doing something, but at the end of the day, it it is sort of a competitive venture if you're taking it seriously. Would you disagree with that or agree with that? I've I've lived in multiple cities and I know that the, that the attitude in there, there is a lot of competition in certain cities. I do think that uh, the unique thing about the DC music scene is that um, everyone I know in the scene, that's a local mm-hmm. musician is uh, they're really working together and trying mm-hmm. to create ways to work with one another to better the scene as a whole. And there really is this underpinning of that attitude in, in DC. So, uh, you know, Say, obviously bands are always going to, you know, bands want to get an opening slot at some venue over other bands and they're going to try to do whatever they can to, uh, you know, to get that spot. But I I think this is, uh, I mean, it just, it just, it just had the wrong feel creating an environment where everyone's competing head to head. There's limited fans, you know, the idea is, you know, the venue should pay a fair, reasonable rate, a flat fee. We shouldn't have the type of venues that, I mean, we shouldn't promote the type of venues that 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 create this polling atmosphere. You know, mm-hmm. you're going to have a venue. You want to bring the best bands in there, and you want to be known for having the best bands. You know, well, we. I I guess like not to interrupt though, maybe Wade, you might want to jump in on this. I, I it, it it's unclear to me a little bit. Like, if you're in a band, it, it is just invariably hard work. And and you have to put in that work, and the bands that succeed, there is there's a luck little magic to it. But at the end of the day, it's work. So like doing this, like not not pulling your friends, but you know being like, hey guys, we really want this so we can get to the next level. Like to me, that's not outside the scope of uh of what a, ba- a successful band should be doing. And from what I understand, a little bit of rabble is that is maybe teaching bands to do that wade is that is that sort of one of the goals yeah i mean 
I think you hit you hit the kind of the nail on the head. I mean, let's say that let's let's take a traditional model, right? Where um, you got a phone call, mm. terrific, right? And somebody wants you to open for a show, and you go on at nine o'clock. Now, if you if you are if if you are paying a lot of attention to the success of your band, the potential success of your band, you want that room to be as full as possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, so you're not going to not tell your fans about it, right? You're going to push as hard as you can to get that room as full as possible so that the venue's really happy with the turnout. Mm-hmm. Re- regardless of whether there's, you know, some crazy door polling thing going on, you want the room to be full and you want the venue to be happy because you want to get that call again, right? Right. So what, what Ravel says is, look, we, we know that work's important. We're just suggesting that you do it up front. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in that way, you'll be in a much better position uh, to get more shows because now you can prove, now you don't have to guess, you can prove and point to a rabble, let's right. say on our site. And, and almost, I mean, there'd be, it'd be really hard to imagine a venue that wouldn't want to book you if you could, you have proven um, and not in some, you know, easy to fudge way, but like, you know, for the world to see on our website, how many people will come to, to hear you play? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I think that's, I mean, I, I hear you about competition. I totally do, Chris. And, and we're, you know, one thing I should point out that I think I got a little lost in a conversation here is that with this particular feature of, of Ravel, where, um, you know, we reach out, the promoter or the venue reaches out to a certain number of bands and says, hey, I'm, you know, in order to choose between, I want to give you all a shot. And in order to choose between you, because you all make musical sense, but in order to choose between you, I'm going to let you, you guys settle it uh, by talking to your fans. What gets lost there is that the number of people uh, who is in that conversation can be anything. We, we prefer that number to be kind of small, uh, usually no more than a handful. And you know what? It'll work with one person because in, in all of these situations, there's often a goal, you know, a minimum. Um, that the promoter of the venue has told us about. And um, so real- the reality is that it isn't so much about competition for us, and, and, and it really isn't. It, it, as real as competition exists, um, what it is for us is just basically making the whole, you know, the whole scene is actually better off if a, if a band is, is engaging their fans, it's proving to venues that they have draw, then it's hard to see who's who's losing there because keep in mind that fans don't get charged unless the goal is hit on Ravel. So it's hard for me to, you know, one of the things that I mean, we were puzzled by the response in DC because frankly, we've talked to so many artists and we've talked to, you know, literally we've had half hour conversations with probably 800 artists in the last year. And it, it has been, it's incredibly unusual in our experience to, to find anybody who, who sees a downside to this, but, that's the, I guess that's the worry that I have or the question that I have is in a situation like what we're talking about with Ravel, it's hard, to, it's hard for us to identify somebody who's worse off than you, fan, or, or artist. Maybe we should talk about that a little bit. Well, I just want to say one thing to that. It, it, in theory, this all sounds good. In practice, when it comes to D.C., in these two examples, you're talking about the pinch in D.C. 9, yeah. um, they, I, I don't think, I don't think in practice in DC with these two venues, this model works. And I'm just going to say a, a couple things that I've heard people, you know, I've heard people talk about. First of all, 
D- the DC Nine show. I forgot which band was playing. Um, mm-hmm. That that show is going to be sold out, no matter what, because that the, the headlining band is going to is going to sell at that mm-hmm. venue, because that mm-hmm. that band is extremely buzzworthy. Um, it's a small venue, you know. The opportunity there is, is you know, so so for that event, and I don't know how that actually went out. You know, Steve sent me an email. He said we didn't get any bands. You know, there was no band that that signed up. We haven't heard from local artists, uh, you know, to play that, the want to play that opener. So I'm going to choose someone. I I don't know if the whole, I don't know if the the whatever setup you you put in place is actually working for the DC Nine show. But in that situation, you know, so you have a fan goes, you know, a, a band goes and gets their fans to compete with a couple other bands, right? And people put down their credit card, put down the money. In that case, DC9 is going, DC9 said no matter what, the opener gets a flat fee. Um, so it's almost like it's, it, it just, it, it has this, again, it comes down to just not having the right feel where, you know, Say a band gets a hundred people to to you know to to buy tickets for that. It, they're not actually going to get paid that money. Uh, in the case well, of DC, in the case no, in the case of DC Nine, the he plays he pays a fat uh, a flat fee to the to to the opener. So you can see why we have an issue. You know why there's people have been well people have an issue with that specific show. And then th- on the side of the pinch, um, you know. It's the same. I mean, it's it, it's it's very similar. Is that money going to go directly to the openers? Is that money going to go to the headliners? Is there going to be, um, what's the split going to be? Is that information made public as to how the money is being divided between these acts? And if the band does, you know, if the opener does manage to get a hundred people there and no one shows up, you know, for the headliner or whatever, is is the opener going to get paid more than the headliner? I mean. Well, I guess I'm sorry. My my question on that would be, isn't that more of a matter between the band and the venue and Rabble? Uh, from a consumer perspective, you're seeing the band that you want to see in the place that you want to see them. Uh, the way that the money is divided up would seem to be between the other parties. And if the band's happy with the service that they're getting from Rabble and they're getting to play a venue that they want to play and people are showing up to play them, it seems like everybody's a winner right there. People see who they want to see bands play where they want to play and the venues fill themselves up earlier than they might, if they were just selling out a headliner. Uh, uh, that's right. Okay. But I don't, well, I don't think, uh, well, I don't think that is the case in these examples. I don't think you have, I don't think you have bands that have lined up local bands that have lined up to, to take advantage of this opportunity. Oh, well, let, let me, let me, um, let me clarify a couple of things. So uh, first off, I think when Steve was making the comment about bands not reaching out, what he what he was talking about was uh, no local bands had reached out to him about wanting to play the show. Um, I'm pretty sure that's what he meant. Um, we certainly had bands that we were talking to um, about that show. Um, so I think that's so that's the first point. And then the second, I think, Chris, you, you raised an issue that we, I'm glad you did because we, we really haven't covered it. And the, and the question is, if the show is for a certainty, and I'm not sure anybody can ever be certain that a show is going to sell out, but if the show is for a certainty going to sell out, why would anybody source an opener this way? And the answer is Ravel's still interested in doing that. And there are a couple of reasons for that. Number one, we want to learn and work with up-and-coming artists who have 
committed fan bases and we need to learn who those artists are in a community. And, you know, the only way for us to really know is to work with them. So, and then moreover, once we learn, you know, an artist that participates with us in any way, once we learn uh, how good they are at using the platform, we look for other opportunities uh, on and off the platform for them. We have sort of a, an informal preferred artist network and, um, we're often slotting bands who've done good things on our platform into uh, support slots at, at demo shows we might run down the road. So there is, so even though the, uh, don't get me wrong, there's one benefit of this for a venue is helping withdrawal, no question about it. Uh, but it's also true that from Ravel's perspective, we just like working with and discovering uh, talented bands that have got engaged fan bases and that's one way for us to do it. Does that make sense? Uh, yes, it, it does make sense. But in, in, in being an advocate for artists and doing, you know, advocating for artists' rights and local artists for, for a couple of years, I do have to say that, you know, it's, you know, instead of thinking, it, thinking of it getting the artists' fans out, if you're a local artist, you're touring all the, t I mean, you're playing all the time. You're trying to reach out to as many people as you can. You're trying to you're trying to gain a new fan base, really build up your local fan base. So sure. in the case, you want to get on this show, but you've got a show coming up in two weeks where you are the headliner. You need to put all of your effort into making sure you get all the friends out for your headlining opportunity. Well, I mean, well, I mean that's, Chris, that's the big one. Too. Just, is, just to interrupt. I mean, that, that's just like, you need to do both. If you want right, to be a right, successful right. band, you need to do both. Right, but you don't for this for this opportunity. You want to make sure you are put on. This is a this is going to be a very highly attended show. Like we need to think of this. You know, I do events. The, the whole thing that Listen Local First does is try to take events where people are going to be, engage, what type you know why they're there, what music they're there for, and put the ba put bands in front of these large crowds of people that are going to be able to gain new fan bases. That's the way we think we should be thinking about a show like this. You're going to have a sold out show, put the best possible band on there that has the most to gain from, from, from making these new, these new fans. So, so they're going to be there already for the, for, for the, for the headline. That gets into a point that though I, I, I want to uh, get in, not to like completely nerd it up though, then is, is in the reaction from the DC scene that like, uh, rabble would like all skynet it up, just becomes completely self-aware <laughs> and, and take over the touring industry. Um, and then there would be no curation. I mean, is that, is that, do you, do you feel that's a, a fear that people have of happening and that that's the reaction? No, it's not a real, I mean, it's not, it's not, it's not a real fear, but like, you know, it, it all it did is, is, is highlight sort of, um, the, the discussion came at like a key moment, mm -hmm. especially in our city, where I think we have many small venues and venues are treating artists as uh, their as their marketing uh, arm. It's, you know, when you open a venue, you hire your chef, you hire the best chef you can, you hire the best manager you can. Why would you hire a musician to do your marketing? For you? No, you get people in the door that want to hear good music because you're always booking good music. You should have part of your budget set aside to allow to pay those artists to pay those artists fairly. Mm -hmm. I think you I think you've seen the growth of of house concerts in DC and tons of them happening all over t town. Some of them fitting in 150 people and more. Because I think artists are not wanting to deal with venues anymore because these venues start taking on the attitude of how many people can you bring? You know you know like uh -huh. like I'm only going to pay if you bring this many people. 
And I, I think I think maybe DC is a, a very unique city. Uh, where, Don't where, think so. Where this that way. Uh, yeah. I'm so sorry, Chris. Oakland is full of house concerts for for probably the same reason. Yeah, and I mean, and what's the what is the what's the venue situation like there? Are there are there tons of venues, and is there sort of a are are, are bands sort of getting disillusioned with dealing with those venues? I, I see that more in L.A. than I do in San Francisco. Um, mm-hmm. We talk to a lot of very burned out bands in L.A., um, which is a not totally strictly, but a very significantly pay-to-play market, and it's a pay-to-play is a very tough thing on a, on a music scene, and we're not fans of it at all, which is why we were so surprised when people were describing us that way. But, you know, I think that um, I mean, and a lot of what you're, you're saying makes sense. And what, one thing I would point out about Rabble is that we're really about putting the band in charge of their destiny. So if you're a band that's capable of getting 30 fans or 30 tickets worth of fans to commit to a date in advance, on the on on Rabble, uh, quite commonly there's no venue specified at the time that the, the fan is voting and reserving a ticket. Mm-hmm. If you want, and if you and you go around and you talk to venues, and you don't like the terms that they're offering you, well, guess what? You can throw a house concert and be done with the whole thing. And I, you know, I agree with you that venues have a responsibility to build their walk-up bases, and some have done a better job on that than others. But at the end of the day, what's neat about Ravel um, and empowering about Ravel is that, you know, we give bands a way to really even that conversation. And we love venues and we respect their business problems. But, you know, prior to Ravel, uh, for a band that's just a little past starting out, you know, one of the first questions they might have in a venue conversation, booking conversation is, well, what's your draw? And you don't know. Mm-hmm. It's hard to tell. You know, the last show you played was reasonably full, and there's a room's capacity of 150. So you say your draw was 150, but you don't really know who came to see you. Well, this is why uh, I say it's valuable for for yeah. the headline, you know, or for a band that wants to tour outside. I, I do see the value of that so in in, the, in that situation. But where's the differentiation between the value for that and the and the opening band? I guess it's just specific to this situation at hand and this discussion. Yeah, yeah, I think, and I think that was the, uh, I think it's very specific to these examples here. Uh, I think, I think the fact that any of those two other bands, I forgot which ones, the Brooklyn bands that are playing the pin shows, Mm -hmm. um, if, if there was rabble, uh, you know, to get them to play a DC show uh, and they chose the pinch, then then that's great. You know, then, then the pinch knows it has X number of people coming. Um, and there is a, there's a crowd and the people, people are going to show up to when these guys do the show. That's, that that's awesome. Yeah. Or if a local band that, you know, is starting up, uh, wants to play their first gig or, you know, want to play, uh, come home and play a local gig and they want to see if people want to see them when they want to see them, you, you, you put it out to your fans. That that's awesome. Um, I just it was just the it was just the way sort of the dealings with the having the small local band sort of do this competition to get an opening spot for this other band, you know, and maybe, you know, 
questions over are they getting paid by the number of people that respond or you know are they you know what's the situation with that are they creating a this it, very competitive it, atmosphere is there a question of whether or not they're getting paid that, that that is actually something i'm totally not clear on is there a question of whether if they if they book the gig if they get all those things uh in this way you could answer this pretty easily do they get paid those terms are up to the promoter. We generally um, encourage the promoter to make sure everybody's paid, and certainly when we're, we're involved in mm -hmm. promoting a show, we always make sure. Mm -hmm. I, I guess my question here is uh, it, it sounds like there might be room for a, for a hybrid model almost uh, where you've got some some bands that are being, ra that are being uh, booked by Rabble and then uh, – some others that might be going through the through the booker at the at the show space or something like that because I can tell you as I'm not in a band I never have been but I've gone to see a lot of shows and one of the great things about going and seeing shows is sometimes you get there early and you see a band usually a local band that you've never heard of before the and they strike a chord with you and maybe if you've got a show that's got one opener that was raised by Rabble and you're there for the headliner then there's still a space for you know, the first opener to be a local band that could be booked by uh, that could be booked by the house booker or by a different promoter, possibly. I, I don't know if this is a if this is a model that works in practice, um, but it seems like there would be a space that oh, would yeah. be in the scene for something like that that would uh, that would address everybody's concerns to some degree. If I if I think I understand you, uh, the answer is absolutely. I mean, I mean, look, here's one way to look at it, right? So let's. Let's imagine two different situations, right? One is a traditional situation where there's an opening slot, and there's another situation which is going to be where Rabble is involved, and there's also an opening slot. And the only thing that's different is in these two shows is how the opening slot gets determined. Hmm. Now, in the in the first situation, the chances are a talent buyer, in-house promoter at, at the venue. And he asked, he goes through his list. He thinks he makes musical sense. And then he reaches out to one. And he says, I like you guys. Happy to give you 100 bucks. Come play on the 18th. And that's fantastic. And, you know, that makes some sense. But what about all the people that he didn't call? Right? Yeah. They didn't get an opportunity. They mm -hmm. didn't hear about it. And what, what we're pointing out is that with Rabble, more people are going to get some kind of phone call. And are going to be, you know, have a chance at some kind of opportunity than in the former system. And, you know, they can coexist. We're not, you know, we don't, believe me, we, you know, we do think we offer some important things to the community, but we can completely coexist along the existing system. That's not a problem. And, and to my mind, if a band wants to take advantage of Ravel when they get that call, and the call is going to come from the promoter as well, or for us, working from a list that the promoter gave us, um, then uh, they can or they can't. It's their choice. And they can inquire about terms, uh, and they can they can like it or not, and that's totally fine. Um, but the, to me, to our point is, it's, it's, it's kind of a win because the, we're getting more bands a shot at an opportunity that might be worth having. And if it fits for them, great. And if it doesn't, you know, terrific. Oh, and we'll we'll try somebody else. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and we're gonna we can keep we'll we'll keep on <laughs> we can keep on trading yeah, back yeah, on yeah. this. I I understand. I, you know, I I totally I totally understand. Uh, I I do think that um, as a local band, you need to be playing as often as possible to to really get your name out there. And and 
you know, in this, you know, there has to be some form of curation in, in the, you know, when you're dealing with a local promoter, right? Because if you just leave it up to, you know, people voting, um, any, totally agree. Any, Couldn't any, agree more. any yeah. amateur artist who just has all their family and everyone vote, 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 get them on the bill. I mean, it's great. They have one show, but it's not furthering the career of anyone. These guys aren't trying to like, you know, really make it to the next level, make, you know, make a business out of their music. Um, right. In, in this, uh, it's just another, you know, if you're, if you're not headlining the bill and you're a supporting act, your goal is to get in front of, and get in front of as many people as you can, hopefully get that one, you know, get, get that one, get that show where you can make new fans, where you can sell more, more merch. And it's just another show. You're not, you're, mm-hmm. your opening act is not going to be a show that you're, when you're, when you're an opener, it's not going to be a show that you're going to spend, you know, a month putting up posters for beforehand. Uh, it's just not, I, I don't think that's the, unless you guys co-book the show, all of you guys together in a, you know, in an alternate venue where the proceeds are split evenly and it's on, it's on everyone to really fill the space and you get a monetary reward for bringing people in because, you know, and everyone benefits, but the money's split between the crew. So, so so you all have incentive to really put together that show, and you're in charge of putting together that show, and you're not going through a promoter. Um, well, uh, Rabo can work that way. I mean, we certainly can have uh, – if you want to do a show from scratch, aside from openers, if you wanted to do a show, you can certainly have multiple artists on the bill, and they can all work directly uh, to, to reach the goal to make the show happen. That happens all the time. Mm-hmm. I, I think something Rabble can – maybe interested in doing and I'm I'm happy to talk offline about this is really for the shows you know for many of the shows that you're doing where you do have opening local acts I think I think um you know you say that the promoter sort of does what they want but if Rabble really picks up and it becomes a force which I think it can I think bands can really warm up to this you know especially some of the national bands that want to want to really make the most of their tour and gear their tours through the right cities you know, if you say that, you know, this is a rabble show, rabble show comes with a set standards. Like we, you have to meet fair trade music standards. You have to pay X, you know, for the size of the band, X number of dollars per hour. You have to make sure that there are proper load in spots for the musicians, that musicians are compensated with, you know, food, all these other things. And, you know, we're, we're working on creating a fair trade music mm-hmm. sort of uh, best practices checklist. That's something that I think, you know, Obviously, when you're starting off, you you may not want to do that, but something to consider is is building those best practices into your model and yeah, working I, I with like the venues idea. and promoters that 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 are that are you know that are doing the right thing. Yeah, I, I like the idea a lot, Chris. And I think as we grow, we would like to 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 move towards something like that. Um, uh, particularly as you know, as our value to you know, our usefulness to everybody in the industry grows, I think we'll be in a position to push for standards. And uh, I'm all for it. I mean, I've heard, uh, I think we've all heard uh, lots of stories about the business as it exists today. And, and to the extent that we can make, and we're trying to make the business a lot more transparent. Um, and a lot more, I mean, for example, right now we have 12, we have 12 partner venues who um, uh, on our site who publish booking standards mm-hmm. uh, if, i mean it's unheard of right i mean like, where can you go and look up what it takes to get booked at a certain club well it hasn't really been done before it's happening on unravel now 
And we really like the idea of making the system more transparent, easy to understand, and, and standardized to the extent that we can. And I, I totally get you on that, and I, I love all those ideas. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I think um, I think we're up at, like, about 40 minutes. Uh, Wade, I know you said that you've had about 45 minutes. Either uh, you got any, like, last thoughts about that, or is that... Um, thinking one second and seeing if there's anything else I had in my notes here. All right. No, I think, uh, I mean, I think, I think we basically said, uh, uh, you know, I've said everything, uh, I, I, you know, I hope Rabble, I hope Rabble grows and I hope you guys do uh, end up promoting, uh, best practices, I think. Mm-hmm. And I hope everyone starts thinking about, um, you know, think, thinking, thinking deeply about what musicians have to go through in terms of like creating alternate avenues to, to find new fan bases and, and building the fan base on a local level and what that means and what it means to then take that on the road. You know, um, uh, I think, I think when we start thinking of musicians all as little, little businesses, um, and I think, you know, and people start realizing what, what the musician has to go through in order to, to, to really grow and make a living out of their music, then, then we'll, uh, we'll all be, coming together and, and sort of making the right decisions and, and uh, really helping grow our local culture. Of yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I will add to that. I think that we need to, we need to think about and actually talk about, and this might be for you and me, Chris, or even you wait, if you want to at a later date, uh, not just what a musician has to go through, because that's painting the musician as the victim, uh, what they have to actually do to do this, right. because there's a lot right. of, there's a lot of people who aren't willing to do this. And there's no shame in that. It's like like we said up front. It's it's hard. Uh, hopefully, um, you know stuff like what you're doing, Chris. Stuff what you're doing, Wade, uh, makes it easier, and it all sort of piles in in a stew, and then uh, we'll find some way for all this to work for everybody. Yeah, we. You know, I totally agree with that. And and you know one one way one thought I'd I'd leave everybody with is. I think there's developing sort of a new way to think about a band managing their career, mm-hmm. you know, and in, in the old days, it was really about getting a record deal and, and getting some albums done and sold. Right. But I think the developing consensus is that the way bands should really think about managing their careers is really, they should be in the business of developing and engaging fans mm-hmm. because with the right number and it doesn't have to be a very big number, by the way, but with the right number of really committed fans, you can move mountains. I mean, we've had very small, by any objective standard, we've had very small bands use Rabble and do great, great things. And we've had some bigger bands surprise us, uh, you know, by, you know, doing better on Rabble, but you know, not in a way that would, would be consistent with their size. And and so we really believe that I think Kevin Kelly wrote an article. He's like a dot com kind of guy, but he wrote an article a couple of years ago about music. And he said that all you ever needed to succeed in music was a thousand real fans. <laughs> and I, I don't know if that's true or not, but I do like the idea with, with giving of, you a steady income. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, let think about it this way. Right. If you had a thousand fans who would be willing to show up for any show that you would organize, mm-hmm buy any merchandise you come out with yeah you could probably you can do least, pretty well you can yeah you can at least make a, a decent living 
I would think. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I don't know what that number is, or if it's true or not. But what we've certainly seen on Ravel already is that if you can develop uh, and engage committed fans, um, then Ravel is a great tool for getting you uh, opportunities that you wouldn't have otherwise gotten. And then once you get them, then then it's up to your usual uh, talent and hard work and live music, you know, act. It's something we haven't talked about a lot. Um, and you got to be a great act, you know, and you, if you get all those done, the rap will help, help get you into that opportunity and let you make the most of it uh, once you're there. And, and that's exciting to me. All right. Well, uh, thank you guys all for being here. Uh, Chris from Listen Local First. Paul, uh, just from Paul, <laughs> and uh, Wade. Uh, anytime you guys want to come back on and talk about this, let me know, and we'll set it up. Uh, this has been fun, and then uh, we will hopefully talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks so much, you guys. Yeah, Thanks. All right. Bye. All right. Bye-bye. All right, there you go. I hope that discussion uh, sort of cleared some things up, uh, sort of got everybody sort of calmed down a little. Uh, look, you know, all, all of this is, is has always been uh, sort of difficult to navigate, but I think one thing that should, you should take away from that discussion is that everybody involved in, in this, uh, Chris, and Wade, myself, and Paul, uh, have in common is that we all love music and we, and we all want to do uh, anything we can sort of to make make it a better environment for not just uh, musicians but music lovers uh, so if you want to know more about Rabble we'll have that site uh, link in the show notes if you want to know more about Listen Local First uh, we'll have that in the site notes uh, and really just you know hope everybody just calms down and uh, gets along so we can all you know, enjoy the rock together uh, that is our first podcast for this week uh, on Thursday, uh, we'll be talking to uh, Amelia and Nick from Sylvan Esso, some very lovely people that had a chance to sit down with at Mockingbird Hill this past Saturday. Uh, they're going to talk about their new album, um, self-titled new album, opening for Tune Yards and a whole lot more. Uh, so please, please tune into that. Uh, that is, uh, I say this a lot, but that is going to be one of my favorite ones uh, that we've put up on the site thus far. Uh, so... You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Stitcher. Uh, I think that's about it for right now, but maybe some more platforms coming. Uh, as always, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you soon. Bye.